Good afternoon, everyone. We're so glad that you could be with us today for a very special service because we're going to be having Hannah's dedication. And we want to say a special welcome to all of um, Andy and Michelle and Amy and Hannah's friends and family. Um, I'll name you and thank you more later. But we also want to say um, welcome to our other visitors. We've got some friends visiting as well. Um, and it's nice also to see Will back from the Philippines. I'm glad to hear your dad is doing better. Um, and others, there's other visitors here today um, that we're really glad to have with us. It's been quite a week. Um, I was telling some of you before service started that it was such a hectic week, um, not only because it was busy in terms of work, but we've got um, Roy's dad and auntie staying with us, which it's been really nice, but also it's been very uh, difficult for them because the weather has not been cooperating in Melbourne. And so, um, yeah, it's just been raining, and, and so they're actually not feeling well today, so they're, uh, they weren't able to join us today. But... Um, Something else that happened this week that made me really upset was that on Thursday, I was in the middle of meetings. Um, we had AUC meetings, which is why Christian and Erica are here, which is great to see them and, and Sienna and Caitlin. But um, in the middle of the meetings, I had about two hours left of the meeting to go, and my laptop was, um, I hadn't plugged it. It was just on battery, and I, but I had plenty of battery. It's, it's a new laptop. It's only about a year old, and I had 50% left, Right. And so, you know, I'm doing the meeting, and okay, I confess, I was multitasking, so I was working on this sermon. And um, all of a sudden, the laptop shut down. And I thought, oh, strange. Maybe that the battery, you know, indicator is off. Maybe, you know, the, I didn't have as much battery as I thought. No worries, you know, I'll go home and charge it. So I wasn't too worried. Um, and then I went home, I tried charging it, nothing it's like, all right, it's all right. Maybe, maybe I'll call Apple. You know, as Sharon said, they are geniuses over there. So, well, well, I'm sure they can sort me out. So I called Apple Care support team, and they walked me through a few things to try. And at the end, they said, "You're gonna have to take it in." That's when the panic set in because not only was my sermon there, but also. You guys have, some of you know, I've been working on my, my book, and I hadn't backed it up. So my, like, year and a half worth of work is on that laptop. So at that point, I was, like, full panic mode. And Roy was amazing and was, like, comforting me. And I was just like, bring out the ice cream. Bring out the instant noodles. I, I just need to wallow for a while. Um, what else did I have? Ice cream, instant noodles, and I had something else. Chocolate? Um, <laughs> I let myself go fully into the wallet mode. And I was like, what am I going to do? But Roy kindly lent me his laptop. So then I rewrote the sermon yesterday. Um, and I was throwing a full adult tantrum. Because as lovely as Roy's laptop is, it's not mine. You know, the gestures are different. I'm used to doing my four finger swiped and I'm used to doing double, like, you know, there's certain things that you get used to with your laptop and the way your, your things. And of course, none of my, um, passwords, cause I usually save it all. So I just do my touch ID and then, you know, just automatically logs on for me. And then of course on this new laptop, it's not automatically lock, you know, logging in. And I forgot all my passwords because I hadn't used them in a year cause I'm used to just doing my touch ID. So I couldn't get into my external hard drive. So yes, I was throwing a full adult tantrum. 
And um, <laughs> I, I finally, this, the tantrum lasted a while. And then finally, finally, Roy just came and he prayed for me. And I took a deep breath and I thought, all right, I can do this. I can get through this, right? And, you know, after he prayed and he went and he was um, feeding the kids, etc., um, I thought about the power of prayer. And it's interesting and ironic because my sermon today is about prayer. <laughs> and um, I'm going to be doing kind of part one today. We're going to be looking at the story of Hannah. And then next week, we're actually going to um, talk more practically about some really powerful ways to pray. And we're going to actually practice that next week as well. So I hope you can come along next week. But today, I want to talk about um, the story of a, of a person who prayed. It was around 1056 BC, so over 3,000 years ago. And the Israelite sanctuary, which was their uh, place of worship, was pitched in a place called Shiloh, which is about 30 kilometers north of Jerusalem. And Shiloh is a Hebrew word that means tranquil or peaceful. But it was anything but that time of year, because thousands of travelers had gathered in Shiloh from all over the place. And so you can imagine the sounds of people talking, the sounds of animals, you know, bleeding and and, um, arguments between the the temple priests, um, Hophni and Phinehas, who happened to be very corrupt. Their father, Eli, the high priest, was sitting in his chair. He was an old man a very sad man because he just could not get his children to listen to him. They were grown children, but they, were, um, they had very important responsibilities and duties in the temple. But instead, they were cheating people and assaulting women and doing all kinds of things that um, were making people not wanting to come to worship. And so Eli was sitting there in his chair, thinking, observing, looking around, when something caught his eye. And it was a woman, a woman who was kind of stumbling, kind of leaning against the wall, and he couldn't hear anything, but he could tell her mouth was moving. And in, she just didn't look like she was, um, you know, going about her normal business. And so he thought, mistakenly, that she was drunk. And so he goes over to scold her for being in such a state in the middle of the day. And the woman responds, and she says, Not so, my lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of the great anguish and grief. What was she so upset about? We find out that this woman named Hannah had a great desire, an unfulfilled dream, and it was to become a mother. And in her time and culture, a woman's value and worth in that time and society was determined by her ability to have children. So you can imagine the bitterness and the disappointment and the heartache that Hannah would have experienced month after month, year after year, not being able to get pregnant. I have no idea what her experience would have felt like. But Michelle, where did she go? Oh, she's in the back with Hannah. Michelle knows 
a little, you know, she and I, we, we know a little bit of、um, the longing for a child because Michelle and I, we prayed a lot. I remember when、um, I was trying to have a second child, and Michelle and I prayed together almost on a weekly basis together for a whole year before Joshi came along. So I can't imagine what it, would, what it would have been like for Hannah, who didn't have any children for many, many years. And not only that, but、um, her husband, Alkaina, who loved her and was devoted to her, but in that time and culture needed to have children,、um, had another wife who was able to have children, and she had multiple children. And this other woman, Penina, took it upon herself to make Hannah's life Miserable. She taunted her. She bullied her. She she reminded Hannah again and again how unworthy she was. And so Hannah is here in Shiloh, right? After years of this, pouring out her heart to God and weeping by the wall. And what she says is this. She says to God, "Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head." And it's very interesting that Eli didn't hear a word of this because she was, you know, mumbling. Her, she was saying this in her mind. But so he has no idea what he, she prayed for. But he says to her when she says, "I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring out my heart to God." He says, "Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of Him." And she said, "May your servant find favor in your eyes." Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. How did Hannah go from completely despondent and weeping in anguish to going? In comfort and hope, nothing had changed, right? She she didn't all of a sudden become pregnant in that moment. There was no evidence that her prayer was answered, and yet she was able to go in peace. This is what makes Hannah such an incredible woman of faith. She believed that God had heard her prayer before there was any evidence that that was the case. She took Eli's words as message from God that her prayer was answered. The Bible goes on to say that in the course of time, Hannah did become pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, "Because I asked the Lord for him." And the word Samuel, actually, the Hebrew、um, original word, sounds like the the words God has heard. God has heard. Hannah believed with all her heart that God had heard her cry, and that Samuel was the child that she had prayed for. And so she keeps her end of the bargain. She takes Samuel once he's weaned over to the priest Eli, and she goes to him. And can you imagine? You know, time has passed. Eli has completely forgotten about her, but she comes to him and she she brings this little boy and she says, "Pardon me, my lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child." And the Lord has granted me what I asked of Him, so now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Now, this is an incredible sacrifice. 
not only for her to give up her beloved child, right, her 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 only child, to Eli the priest, but also to give Samuel up, knowing that who lives in that in that um, place, not just Eli, but his wicked sons. Hophni and Phineas. In fact, I like how the Bible says it very directly. It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels, right? They had no regard for the Lord. So I don't know about you, but I would have such a hard time giving my child into the care of such a family, knowing that there's bad influence there, knowing that there's, there's bad examples and, you know, these, they could be bullying Samuel, who's a little kid, and so H- Hannah could have reasoned, surely God doesn't want me to, you know, keep my, you know, trust Samuel to this family. Surely I'm excused from, you know, I can wait until Samuel is a bit older, you know, can, can resist the, the, the temptations. But no, Hannah keeps her word because she trusts God's ability to protect Samuel, to, to raise Samuel. And so Samuel becomes the youngest little priest in service. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a little boy wearing a linen ephod. An ephod was the, the white priestly robes um, that the priests wore to show that that's, that was their role. So can you imagine a little boy wearing the little linen ephod? Each year, his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. I love that last line, that Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. The fact that Eli's wicked sons lived with Samuel and were horrible examples, but that's not what it focuses on. It says Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And that's what mattered the most. We're here today to support and affirm Michelle and Andy's desire for their daughter Hannah to grow up in the presence of the Lord, to know Jesus and his great love and plan for her life. We asked Michelle and Andy why they chose the name Hannah for their daughter, for whom they also prayed for. And they said that Hannah is one of their favorite Bible characters. They said she was a woman of true and enduring faith who waited a long time for God to answer her prayers, but stayed faithful the whole time, trusting that God was still in control of her future. We hope that our Hannah has a similar faith as she walks through life. The name Hannah actually means favored by God or the grace of God, which I think is very apt, not only because God did show grace or favor on Hannah, but also because of how Hannah actually received that favor. Over and over and over again, the Bible talks about who receives favor. And, you know, if we think about who who deserves favor, in our society, we think of those who are hardworking, right? They deserve the reward. Or those who are very talented, They deserve the favor. But over and over again in the Bible, God actually says something else about who receives the favor. He says, God opposes the proud, 1 Peter 5, verses 5 to 7. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you.
God favors the humble. Those who recognize their need, those who are willing to give up their own way and say, all right, God, your way. I don't know about you, but I find that humbling really difficult because I like to control things, right? I like things to go in a certain way. So I will organize, I will plan, I will, you know, do everything so that it will go just as I had planned. And of course, things don't work out that way, like this week showed me, right? Or even this morning, it was chaos, <laughs> trying to get over here, and the rain and the traffic, right? There are so many things that are outside of our control. And of course, that then leads us to feel extreme anxiety because we're worried. We're worried about what will happen. We're worried about, you know, um, the outcome. And so when God says, humble yourselves, not just for no reason, but under God's mighty hand. There's a promise in there that because God is mighty, because God is powerful, because God cares for us, we can submit ourselves and surrender ourselves and yield to God and say, all right, God, I need your help. But this is something that is entirely ours to yield. God cannot force us to surrender. That's why he says, humble yourselves, right? Because it's something that only we can give up. And this is something that parents understand really well. When our, I remember before I had kids, if, um, you know, I would see kids that, that disobeyed or misbehaved, I completely judged their parents and the child, right? Then I became a parent and then I repented of all the judging. <laughs> Cause you realize you cannot force another human being to do something if they don't want to do it. Case in point. When uh, Micah was very little, so he was like barely one years old, he got really sick. And uh, he had a fever, he was dehydrated, and so we needed him to drink water. We needed him to drink water. Have you ever tried to get someone who didn't want to drink to drink? You cannot make them eat or drink if they don't want to, right? There's a lot of things you can force, but you cannot make someone eat or drink if they do not want to. And, um, you know, poor little Micah, he had a sore throat. And so for him, he's thinking, I don't want to swallow anything because it hurts. So he's refusing to open his mouth. And we are begging, pleading, bribing, threatening, trying everything possible to try to get him to drink some water. But nope, he won't do it. You know, we tried holding him. We tried prying his mouth open, but he keeps crying and then choking, like, that just makes everything worse, right? He's getting more dehydrated. We tried, like, putting the water in syringes and, like, trying to drip into his mouth, right? He was too little to understand that we were trying to help him. He was too little to understand that we, we, this was our concern for his welfare, right? And sometimes we did the same thing to God. We resist his teachings. We resist his principles because it doesn't make sense to us. Forgive our enemies? Do good to those who hate us? That doesn't make any sense. Treat people the way that we want to be treated and not the way they deserve? No way. Pray to a God that we can't see and live a life of service for a God that we can't prove? Preposterous. But what would happen 
if we humbled ourselves under God's mighty hand, if we yielded up our sense of control and pride, if we cast our anxiety on him, believing that he cares for us, what might happen? We might just experience the peace that Hannah experienced, the comfort before any evidence of an answer to prayer. One of the hardest things about parenting is anxiety. When a child first comes into the world and you become new parents, there's this overwhelming sense of burden, responsibility. Right? You have to keep this little one alive. Is he eating enough? Is she breathing? Are their nappies normal? You will never obsess about what happens, what comes out, right, as much as when you're a parent and you've got a baby. When you're crying, you're wondering what's bothering them. And when they're not crying, you wonder, are they sick? Right? And with each stage comes new anxiety. Will they make friends? Will they cope at school? Will they make good choices? Right? And even if you're not a parent, you know what it's like to feel the anxiety, the burden and the weight of anxiety. Perhaps worrying about your job or the finances or your future. Anxiety is something that can really cripple us, right? Can really make it difficult for us to live with peace. And over the years, something that has, and I'm a very anxious person. I think you all know that. <laughs> and something that has really helped me over the years, uh, not only as a parent, but in general, when I'm, when coping with anxiety, has been prayer. And it's not just answers to prayer that help. Of course that does. But it's the actual process of prayer itself. When I tell God what I'm worried about, what I'm angry about, what I'm sad about, sometimes I cry, like Hannah did. Sometimes I shout. Sometimes I can barely whisper because my heart is so heavy. But over the years, each time when I pray, not just the perfunctory, like, formulaic, oh, thank you for this and help me with that, but genuinely pour out my heart to God. Every time, before that prayer is answered, right, before the circumstances have changed, I experience peace. I experience that comfort that comes from knowing I have surrendered and given this into the mighty hand of God. And now, I just wait. Over the years, whenever I truly surrender control and the outcomes to God, I find strength and hope and courage to cope and persevere. For example, I remember that my children are not just mine, but they're God's children, and that he loves them more than I do. And so despite my flaws and my mistakes as a parent, they're going to be okay because they're growing up in the presence of the Lord. And that's what Andy and Michelle believe as well. We asked them why they want to dedicate Hannah today. And they said, first and foremost, we feel like we'll feel that life on earth can be really hard. And our greatest hope and gift we can give our children is to encourage them to have a relationship with God. A God who can give them peace, hope, direction, and clarity when the world cannot. We also acknowledge that we are incredibly flawed as humans and parents ourselves, and we are so grateful for God's example of love and teaching, and that his grace makes up for our inadequacies as parents. 
We have also experienced a lot of growth in our personal and spiritual lives since we have started attending Melbourne City Avenue Church 11 years ago. And we are so thankful for this community. And we would love for Hannah to be a part of this family. Michelle and Andy and Amy and Hannah, we are also very grateful that you are a part of this church family. Now I'm going to (laughs) cry. But as much as they are committing themselves to raising Hannah to love and know Jesus, today is an occasion for all of us to commit ourselves to supporting this family. Not only through the things we teach in the children's Sabbath school, not only in the things we, we talk about, but mainly through our love and example. You know, our mission statement here at Melbourne City Avenue Church is loving God, loving others, and creating a safe space where you can explore a Christ-centered worldview. That means we accept you as you are, without any judgment, and we are committed to making you feel welcome and included. That no matter where you are on your journey, we are here to support and love you. And that includes all the children, all the boys and girls here today. I want to affirm to you once again that we love you just the way that you are. Naughty or nice, right? loud or quiet, throwing a tantrum or not, we love you and we're glad that you're a part of our church, our church family. And we promise, Hannah, as you grow up, to be kind to you and to help you know that With us, you are accepted just the way that you are. Because that is how Jesus treats every single one of us. Andy's favorite Bible verse is 1 John 3.18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Nothing speaks louder than love in action. It's the greatest witness of God in us. And I hope and pray that through all of us, Hannah would be able to see and experience God's love. And I don't know about you, but in order to love like that, that's when I need prayer the most. One of the hardest things about parenting is that you give a lot more than you get back. Because a baby doesn't say, hey, mom, I see you're tired. I'll just feed myself. In fact, I'll make you a cup of tea. And a toddler doesn't say, Thank you so much for sacrificing for me. I really appreciate you. What you get are Mother's Day cards that end up being wonderful examples of their love. <laughs> but do they actually bring value? It's, it's the kids, they show their love. But at the end of the day, the parents are the ones that give a lot more. And perhaps it's for you, it's a coworker or a boss, or a neighbor, or a family member, or a friend who is a taker more than they are a giver. Perhaps your love and your sacrifice is decidedly one-sided, and therefore extremely difficult to keep going by yourself. And that's when we can find the great power of prayer. Because when we pray to God, who is the source of all love, he fills us up so that we can love the unlovable, and we can love those who are takers more than givers. And ultimately, we get to experience then God's love replenishing us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, we don't have a God who doesn't get us. We have a God who understands exactly how we feel, exactly what we're going through. And so that's why we can pray with confidence. That's why we know God hears us. Because he lived here on earth and went through the heartaches that we go through and understands that we need that shoulder to cry, that we need that person to give us courage. I want to end with Michelle's favorite Bible verse. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 to 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's my prayer that as we pour out our hearts to God, more and more we will have that confidence that God does hear us and that He has a plan and purpose for our lives. And that through him, we can love. Through him, we can give. And through him, we can serve.